Let's be real. It's getting cold out. You're probably running around like a crazy person trying to hold on to every bit of holiday cheer you can. And you're behind on your farm chores. We get it. We are this person. Yep, and thank goodness for First Saturday Lime. With the animals staying inside more often, which means they're doing their business inside more often, you can sprinkle First Saturday Lime around the barn while you're rocking out to some holiday tunes to deter bugs and help soak up the ammonia stink. So go to firstsaturdaylime.com and use code DRINK at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping. Give yourself the gift of kicking back and watching those chestnuts roasting on an open fire between the holiday madness. If, you know people actually do that we drink things we farm things we drink and farm Oh, hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What did you open over there? Oh, I just opened a Jackie O's Java the Stout coffee stout. Ooh, sounds nice and like rich for the holiday season. Right. Well, and it's funny, the can looks a little Christmassy, uh, but it's not. It's just Star Warsy. <laughs> oh, cool. But if you didn't know anything about Star Wars, it kind of looks like a big brown monster in a snowstorm with a bunch of red lights zooming around so (laughs) (laughs) there's that (laughs) we're gonna count it as a holiday beer (laughs) nice what are you drinking over there so today i have coffee with a healthy dose of rum chata as creamer Mm. last night my husband was going to the party store and he's like what do you want and i was like i don't need anything and then like Five minutes later, I texted him, rum chata, because tis the season. So he brought me home rum chata. So I had that in hot chocolate last night. And now in my coffee, um, since we had so much leftover coffee this morning, I figured, what the heck? And I put it in a happy holidays Santa mug. So I'm extra seasonal today. Ooh, I like it. I just had a merch idea for you. I'm drinking mine out of my Give Zero Clucks shatterproof tumbler, but the chicken needs a Santa hat. So (laughs) maybe one of these years. (laughs) Put it on the list for next year. (laughs) And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community, from hobby farmers to the large-scale real-deal farmers. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain, so hopefully you don't feel so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those tangents and stick them up on our Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps, so go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm and sign up to be a Patreon peep if you're not already, and that just starts out at $2 a month. And speaking of the Patreon, cheers to Ashley Kiernan for sponsoring this episode's beverages. So thanks, lady. Thank you. So do we have any corrections or follow-up this week? So we don't have any corrections, and... 
I think I'm going to stick this in the follow-up, even though we haven't specifically talked about this on the podcast. I didn't put it in the notes because, I don't know, I wanted to surprise you with it. <laughs> Should I be scared? <laughs> I don't know. But I'm getting a cow this week. You're getting it? <laughs> yes. Oh, shut the front door. I cannot believe Jared is agreeing to that. Right? Well, he's sitting down this morning and he looks at me and he's like, so you need to have an answer about that cow thing by Tuesday, don't you? And I was just drinking my coffee, staring off out the window. I was like, yep. And then we discussed it. <laughs> and apparently we came to the conclusion of yes. So yay. Did you put rum chata in his coffee this morning? Because I'm a little shocked that he agreed to it. I did not. But one of the things that we talked about while we were talking about it, because he expressed his concern like, we try to have purpose for all of our animals Mm -hmm. and he was concerned that like a miniature Hereford that wasn't, he's not suitable for breeding and he's not suitable for uh, meat consumption or for, you know, processing for meat eventually Mm -hmm. because uh, the person that bred him thinks that he might suffer from some sort of dwarfism. Now in order to like actually confirm that we have to do a blood test and everything. I'm not really all that concerned about it because I, I, I told Jared, I was like, well, His purpose can be really, you know, bringing joy. Like, that's a purpose also. And he's basically going to be like a giant grass puppy. He'll get to go play in the giant part of the pasture that we have. Because cows respect fence lines generally. And we have a really good fence line in our big (laughs) pasture. So he can go out there and graze all summer with Herc. He's the right size to be a good companion for Herc. So that's a purpose as well. And... He is going to be our first cow, so we get to learn how to take care of a cow. So that's a purpose as well. So I just kind of presented all of that. Like, that's uh, all of our first animals have been kind of like that because he also pointed out, like, you know, you have these goats and you haven't bred them yet. So why aren't you focusing on trying to figure out how to breed them? And we talked about the issues that I've run into so far and how I'm trying really hard not to just ask him to get a buck. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so like it it was a really good conversation because it just became a larger conversation about how starting out is just not as easy as it looks on blogs and Instagrams. Like right. Right. it takes time to build and grow and find contacts to buy hay from and find the right breeder to purchase this thing that you want to serve this specific purpose. Like it just... It's not as easy as it looks when you haven't done it yet. Right. (laughs) Yeah. About cows respecting fence lines, it definitely depends on the cow because there's a cow at my grandparents, they're they're dairy farmers, um, that continually gets out and like will stand in the middle of the road. Um, (laughs) And people are just starting to know that that is normal. He knows how to get in and get out and he does what he wants. So... Yeah, just (laughs) you'll want to tell your neighbors that you're getting a cow and what it looks like just in case he decides to take a little trot down the driveway. (laughs) But most of them, yes, do just fine. Hopefully we'll see him go by. And, you know, we do have a hot wire on our entire pasture already. It just has to be plugged in. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we we don't use it because our animals respect our fence line right now. But if we ran into one that didn't, we do have that as an option. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, this this MRF goes under the hot wire. So he's smart. 
<laughs> that is pretty smart. And actually, Corey's yeah. really stupid and doesn't care. So <laughs> I was just going to say our hot wire is the right height for a horse. And since this is a miniature Hereford and a miniature Hereford with some sort of dwarfism issue, the hot wire at the at the horse height doesn't do him any good. <laughs> he could just yeah. like walk right under it. <laughs> It'll be an adventure for you. An adventure for sure. I'm really excited. After we're done recording, I might message the guy and see if I can go see him because I haven't actually like seen this cow yet. But Ew. miniature Herefords are notorious for being great playmates, like for kids. They're really friendly and docile. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's I think it's going to be a good first cow adventure, even if it the, its only purpose is bringing me joy. And Herc. Maybe and Herc joy. joy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that started off with a bang that I was not expecting. Right. And we just talked for an hour and I somehow managed to not spill the beans. And I was just so. saying, I'm so glad you found a hay contact. So if you ever do get a, a cow, then you're, you're set. You're fine. And mm-hmm. you didn't say a damn thing. I am so impressed. <laughs> Secret keeping is not my forte typically because I'm too excitable for that. <laughs> you did good. You did good. So in today's episode, um, we're going to kind of keep on with the Christmas holiday theme that we had going on last week. Last week, we talked about Christmas tree farms and what it takes to actually um, have one of those. And, uh, you know, because Bev and I, that's something we've both kind of thought about on our farms might be fun or something we want to do. So we want to dive into it. So one of the things that I've been toying with in my retirement age or maybe sooner, depending on how successful this podcast becomes, is having reindeer and possibly like some kind of venue where people come to a big barn and do weddings or reunions, but there's also reindeer. So since we did the Christmas tree theme last week and it kind of like killed my dreams there a little bit. Not so much for Bob, I don't think, but. <laughs> but it's really me, hard like, to kill my dreams, just so you know. <laughs> um, I thought it would be fun to continue the Christmas theme and talk about reindeer. So today we're going to talk about the deer, the beast, the legend. And then next week we will talk about what it takes to actually keep reindeer and even turn it into a business. Which is going to be super fun. Because yes. reindeer are pretty incredible creatures. Um, I did not know how cool they were until I did this research and fell down a rabbit hole. Um, so just for your guys' awareness, there are six articles we're referencing today. I mashed them all together, so I don't really know what's what. But make sure you check out the show notes um, to see those sources if you're interested um, or want to learn more. I just cut out the really things that I found interesting this morning. Um, but the content in all those websites are is like really good. So the first thing I want to clear up with everyone is the question of aren't caribou and reindeer the same animal? And essentially, yes, they are the same animal and they're classified as the same species. Um, Rangifer terendus. Does that sound right? That does. Rangifer teridus. So they are um, also both part of the deer family, uh, which also includes deer, elk, and moose. However, there are subtle differences between reindeer and caribou. Reindeer is often used to describe the domesticated animals. 
the ones that are herded and employed by humans to pull sleds. They are also often smaller and have shorter legs than um, their wild counterpart, the caribou. Um, In addition, the name reindeer is more often used to refer to the European variety, ones that live in Siberia, Greenland, and Northern Asia. The word caribou tends to mean the North American um, and or the wild variety, the ones that live in like Canada and Alaska. And because caribou are wild and reindeer are domesticated, scientists agreed that most of the differences between the two are evolutionary as opposed to inherit. Um, And caribou are larger, more active, faster, and migrate further than reindeer. In fact, the caribou undertake the largest land migration of any animal in North America every year in search for better conditions and food for their young. So basically, like, people that work out are caribou and I am a reindeer. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's a good uh, difference between them. And I think that that difference is really interesting because that explains the difference between like if you've ever been to Alaska, like seeing a wild caribou and then comparing them to like movie reindeer. I don't know if you've ever like noticed that, Mm -hmm. but wild caribou absolutely are like bigger and beefier. They basically look like reindeer on steroids. Yeah, they're sexier. They are domesticated reindeer, yeah. (laughs) Which people that work out versus me way sexier too. So, (laughs) and that's okay. (laughs) I mean, it totally depends on what you're into, right? (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's believed that reindeer were domesticated by uh, native persons, particularly like the Nanets. I don't know that I pronounced that uh, type of native person correctly. But um, at least 2,000 years ago, somewhere around northern Eurasia, and reindeer bones have been found in ancient caves in Germany and France. So that means that they once roamed most of Europe. Most Chinese annals dating back nearly 1,800 years also mention domesticated reindeer So most of the reindeer in North America came from Siberia sometime around the mid-1800s, and Russian whalers decimated sea mammals along the Bering uh, Coast. So what happened is native people were starving because they had no food to eat. But in 1982, Captain Healy of the U.S. Revenue Cutter Bear and Dr. Sheldon Jackson, a Presbyterian minister, and the U.S. Commissioner of Education in Alaska worked together to import 171 reindeer and five Siberian reindeer herders to tend them and teach Alaskan natives how to raise reindeer. So by the 1930s, there were more than 640,000 reindeer in Alaska. And reindeer were especially prized during the Alaskan gold rush, when their meat brought high prices and reindeer were used to pull minor sleds. So there are are a large population of wild reindeer in Norway, Finland, Siberia, and Greenland as well. And scientists think reindeer were domesticated 5,000 to 7,000 years ago, somewhere along the Russian and Mongolian border, where they were probably used as decoys to attract wild deer so that hunters could kill them, which is kind of crazy, but awesome to think about, in my opinion. 
And ancient reindeer herders used trained reindeer to ride and pull sleds. And reindeer domestication eventually spread throughout Russian and Scandinavia. Um, and reindeer even helped deliver the mail. The first postal reindeer route was established in 1899. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it wasn't adorable to the person riding in the sled in 1899 in the horrible weather. But in my brain, it's really romantical. Yeah, I totally agree. And domesticated reindeer also provided meat, milk, and tallow, and sinew for sewing, and hides for fashioning blankets, clothing, and footwear. And to this day, there are still certain peoples, including like Scandinavia's Satmi, yes, Satmi, (laughs) Northern Europe's oldest surviving indigenous people who have come to rely on reindeer domestication. I will say there is one more fun fact that I learned when I was digging through the histor- the historical data around reindeer, and it's that the reason why they're still used, especially like kind of in the colder regions, is because they are thought to be stronger than horses and can actually run up to 40 miles an hour, even with a sled attached to them. Oh, that's huge. And that has huge yeah. implications on your ability to travel, especially in climates where, you know two feet of snow is the norm so that's super cool because it would take you forever to hike through two feet of snow yes (laughs) and reindeers are just kind of built for the cold so in the next little bit we're going to talk about the different parts of reindeer anatomy um and how they're just magical beasts even without their christmas (laughs) (laughs) tie-in So reindeer have the largest antlers relative to body size of all living deer. And if you've ever seen one in person, like I think the antlers are definitely the first thing that you notice about them. Mm -hmm. And unlike other deer species, both male and female reindeers can have antlers, but they possess them at different times of the year, depending on gender. And I did know this because my dad lived in Alaska for a while. And so he was hunting. And so caribou was one of the things that he hunted and I got to take home when I'd go and visit him. Oh, nice. They will drop their antlers each year and grow a new larger set. And the bulls drop theirs after the rut, which is in November, and they begin growing a new set in February and March. The calves and yearling bulls keep their antlers on until March, April, and then drop them and grow a new set then. And females start growing that their antlers in May and keep them until their calves are born sometime in spring. Um, And they keep their antlers throughout the winter because this ensures that they're able to compete for food while they're pregnant. And also a really fun thought, in fact, in my opinion, um, this has led many to note that Santa's reindeer, including Rudolph, would technically have all been female because males usually shed their antlers in November um, and only females would probably have them through the Christmas season. So either they're like really special, magical male reindeer or female, or maybe a blend. Who knows? Maybe they have no gender. <laughs> I don't know. Because it's like, you know, a fairy tale. Um, but I thought that was cool. And it was a little like, girl power uh, to me that Santa's reindeer would be all female. 
I think that's super cool. And in fact, I think that that is a grave miscarriage of justice that all of the like <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer stories have all had male reindeer yeah. as the ones that pull Santa's sleigh. Someone that has something to do with the cartoon industry needs to make a new updated Rudolph yeah, the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, I don't think that's going to go over well. Even if it's like factually secure. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is a good climate for that to go over well in. Because like, I, I don't think that. so. <laughs> I think there are going to be people out there who will be like, don't mess with tradition. It's fine. Oh, well, you know. And I think there are going to be people out there that are like, oh, that's so cool. I love having like the real facts. So I don't know. <laughs> and this is why there are arguments on Facebook every day. Pretty much. You're welcome. <laughs> So when they're growing their antlers, they are super soft and spongy and full of blood and tissue. They're super sensitive and their reindeer do not like people or anybody or anything to touch them. Um, They are covered by a furry skin and this stage is called in the velvet. The antlers harden in August and then the reindeer rub the velvet off. Reindeer and caribou are the only members of the deer family where the cows and the calves have antlers when they are born. Ooh, wait, they're born with antlers? Yes. Ouch. Ouch. Well, they're just the little nubbins. Okay. I guess I can handle nubbins. No, no, I can't. I'm not a reindeer. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Let's talk about their hooves because those are pretty cool too. Their hooves and foot pads are actually adapted to frigid temperatures and they shrink and contract when it's cold outside to expose Uh, the rim of the hoof and this allows them to gain better traction by cutting into the ice and the snow whereas in warmer temperatures their hooves expand and adapt to that weather as well isn't that crazy that is super crazy and apparently their eyes change color Earlier in 2013, a research team from a university specializing in animal vision revealed why reindeer eyes are golden in summer and deep blue in winter. In the summer, the golden glow of reindeer eyes is due to the light reflecting tapedum, lucidum, or cat's eye. It's a mirrored layer that's situated behind the retina. (laughs) And uh, in the fading light of winter, The tapedum undergoes a complex transformation that changes the type of light it can reflect, and it also gives off a blue appearance. So I had no idea that their eyes changed colors. I guess I've never been that close to one. (laughs) I had no idea either, and I just thought this was so cool. So I have another fun fact about their nose. Apparently, they can, in fact, turn red. Like Rudolph. Well, not exactly like Rudolph. (laughs) So it's kind of like human noses. So caribou and reindeer have a dense amount of blood capillaries in their nasal cavities, actually like 25% more than we do. When When the weather turns particularly cold, blood flow in the nose increases. This help keeps the nose surface warm when they root around in the snow looking for food. Plus, it's essential for regulating the animal's internal body temperature. This results in a reddened nose matching Santa's own cold weather red nose as well. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Isn't that cute too? (laughs) And their noses also help warm up air um, before it gets to their lungs and it warms it up for their entire bodies um, all the way down to their hooves, which is also super neat. And they have a strong sense of smell. 
And it's the, that sense of smell that can assist them in finding the lichen. Lichen? lichen? Finding the lichen under the snow. They can sniff out the plant material easily, even through snow that is 60 centimeters deep. Gosh, I wish we would have written that in inches. <laughs> so I think that's like around maybe like 25 inches. Oh, that's pretty deep. It's like two feet of snow. So let's talk about their body hair next. Uh, male reindeer grow 28 to 53 inches tall from hooves to shoulder. And they are around 5.9 to 6.8 feet long. So they are huge creatures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the males will also weigh from 143 to 529 pounds. Big boys. Yes. <laughs> Females are typically a little smaller. They're around five and a half to 6.2 feet long. And females will weigh from 121 to 308 pounds. And like we said earlier, reindeer were totally built for the snow and the cold. Their bodies react to changes in temperature by making tons of adjustments, like their eyes, their nose, everything. And when temperatures become frigid, they have the ability to lower the temperature in their legs to near freezing levels, which keeps their core body heat even, which is totally magical. It's like they make their body into a vest. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could do that, too. Oh, gosh, me too. I mean, I just wear vests, and that basically does the same thing, but... <laughs> Their hair is also hollow, and that gives them buoyancy when crossing rivers. Yes, reindeer can swim. Yes, yes. And the way their hair is designed, it helps keep them warm in the winter. They, and as we mentioned before, they can live in extreme temperatures and actually do not need shelter in the winter. They'll just curl up in the snow. Because they're that awesome. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. And for winter grazing, they actually grow their facial hair even longer to cover, cover their mouths so they can protect their muzzles from the snow when they're rooting around for their food. Oh, so smart. And we would be remiss if we did not talk about calves, aka sweet baby reindeer. Mm. If anybody that's listening has Disney Plus... There's a movie called Noel on there, and it's kind of like it's kind of like Elf, but not really. But there's a baby reindeer in there named Snow Cone. Oh my god, he's so cute! He's like <laughs> a little baby goat almost. So if you guys have that, you gotta go watch it. It's kind of a cute, stupid movie, but the reindeer in it makes it. So with baby reindeer, um, as we mentioned a little bit before, the rut season is in the fall, and the just Station period of a reindeer is 224 days, which is around seven and a half months. So the majority of calves are born in April. Calves weigh between 10 and 20 pounds, and they're about the size of a large house cat with very skinny legs. <laughs> and they are actually up and walking within hours of birth. And mom's milk bag is actually quite small, and the calf can empty it in less than a minute. Oh, that's probably a survival mechanism. I wonder. It's pretty smart, though, if it is. Yeah. <laughs> Quick drinks. <laughs> Do shots. <laughs> um, they nurse frequently, and the milk is supposed to be one of the richest of any mammal, reaching up to 18% fat. And reindeer, reindeer normally have single births, and the calves grow rapidly and can weigh up to 125 pounds by the time they are four months old. Oh, my gosh. 
If you're feeling like your chickens are difficult to buy for because they already have everything they need, Grubbly Farms Grubblies are the perfect chicken snack to gift to your flock this holiday season. Yes, gift your chickens a healthy alternative to mealworms, Grubblies, the nutritious daily snack for healthy and happy chickens. When you purchase Grubblies, you can have comfort in the fact that Grubblies are 100% natural, they are non-GMO, have zero additives and preservatives, and they are grown in the USA and oven-dried under USDA regulations. These black soldier fly grubs are one gift that you can be sure will not be returned this holiday season. When you purchase Grubblies, not only are you buying a safe, healthy chicken snack, but you're also purchasing from a small business. It's a win-win. We highly recommend the five-pound treat tank. That keeps your grubblies fresh and dry. My chickens actually do little keg stands off those during their grubbly happy hours. So it's perfect for any poultry holiday party. So go to grubblyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order of grubblies today. Okay, so how did reindeer become associated with Christmas? I never actually really thought about this before today while I was doing this research. Did you kind of have an idea? before today so i think i always just kind of assumed because all of the like christmas folklore when it comes to like santa and the reindeer everything seems to come from like up north and i knew that that's where reindeer were from so i figured you know they just kind of got smashed together with everything else but yeah like why don't moose pull santa sleigh <laughs> or like clyde still horses like the bud St- budweiser commercials <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Because they're not as fast. Exactly. Um, (laughs) So they actually didn't become part of the Jolly St. Nick story until the 19th century. In 1821, a New York writer named William Gilly published a children's booklet where Santa and his reindeer were first mentioned together. Old Santa Claus, with much delight, it's reindeer drive this this frosty night. And later Gilly would write that he knew about reindeer living in the Arctic lands from his mother, who was from that area. And a year later, uh, Clement Clark Moore would anonymously publish a poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas, which is otherwise known as The Night Before Christmas. And that co-opted the idea and popularized it as part of Christmas lore. And fun fact, Orion actually read The Night Before Christmas last night for our little Aww. like Christmas variety show in our town at the local theater. So, hmm. so cute and so timely. I know. And an interesting note here, too, is that in his version of um, The Night Before Christmas, he describes St. Nick riding a miniature sleigh with eight tiny reindeer that had little hooves. This, of course, explains how St. Nick was able to fit down chimneys. He was a tiny little elf. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking of the words now because, you know, I helped him practice for this thing like all week. So I pretty much have the for Christmas memorized <laughs> at this point. And yeah, he actually says that a right jolly old elf. Tiny, super tiny, oh which when you go to the holiday, like the mall, Santa is not tiny. No, not <laughs> at all. Fat. He's so fat. <laughs> <laughs> So in the 20th century, it was actually the department stores that pushed the reindeer and Christmas narrative even further, working with businessman Carl Lohman, who had become known as the reindeer king of Alaska for selling the animal's meat across the state. Macy's put on what may be the first Christmas display featuring Santa, a sleigh, and real reindeer in 1926. 
And 13 years later, the department store, which is now defunct, Montgomery Ward, distributed a coloring book featuring a cute little reindeer with a nose red as a beet and twice as bright. And the author was an ad man named Robert L. May, who, after writing the initial draft of the story, perfected it with the help of his four-year-old daughter. And May's boss didn't like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer at first because he felt that a red nose implied that the reindeer had been drinking. (laughs) But once it was partially illustrated by uh, a man named Denver Gillen, who worked in Montgomery Ward's art department, uh, his boss decided to approve the story because he was actually friends with Denver Gillen. So, I mean, it helps to have friends in high places. (laughs) It does. (laughs) And in the first year after its creation, around 2.4 million copies of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer were given away. And by 1946, over 6 million copies of the story had been distributed by Montgomery Montgomery Ward, which was particularly impressive considering it wasn't printed through most of World War II. Oh, yeah, because we were conserving supplies, essentially. Yes, yes. But after the war, demand for the story skyrocketed, receiving its biggest boost when May's brother-in-law, radio producer Johnny Marks, created a modified musical version of the story. And the first version of the song was sung by Harry Brannon in 1948, but was made nationally popular by Gene Autry's 1949 version, and it sold 2.5 million copies of that version in 1949 alone, and has sold over 25 million copies to date. Holy crap. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. (laughs) Yeah. And it's super interesting that despite the fact that May created the story of Rudolph and it was so popular, he didn't initially receive any royalties for it because he had created it as an assignment for Montgomery Ward. So the company held the copyright and not him. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) But in a rare move for a business, in 1947, Montgomery Ward decided to give the copyright to May with no strings attached. So they did have a heart. That might also be why they're not in business anymore, though. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it was super good timing that they did this because May was deeply in debt due to medical bills from his wife's terminal illness. So, yeah. But once the copyright was his, he was quickly able to pay off his debts and within a few years was able to quit working at Montgomery Ward. Though just under a decade later, despite being quite wealthy from Rudolph, he did go back and work for them again until he retired in 1971. So he just liked it so much. <laughs> well, the business had built up a lot of goodwill with him by yeah. that like single act of, of goodness. So yeah, that's awesome. Be good to your people and they'll be loyal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm yeah. believer in that. Hell Yeah. <laughs> So now you have probably more knowledge about reindeers than you may ever want. But I don't know. This kind of solidified me wanting to have reindeer because they're so cool. Yeah, their history is really interesting. And I I personally find digging into like the whys of, you know, like our stories or the things that we do today to be super fascinating. So I hope everybody else found that really enjoyable, too. And I hope you wrote down all those names and dates because we're totally going to quiz you later on it. Yeah. And then if you get them all right, you can have beer with us. Oh, <laughs> And by beer with us, I mean you can listen to us talk and drink beer. <laughs> You're welcome. Because <laughs> we're introverts. You're welcome. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, oh, what are you promising us to do? 
Oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And next week, we're going to talk about like how to actually take care of reindeer. So if this inspired you, I mean, don't do any pre-research. It'll be more fun if you just listen to us. (laughs) Yeah, just drink in the meantime. Exactly. I mean, everybody's too busy for research right now, right? (laughs) Except for us, (laughs) because we have to do it. But now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. So, Bev, what can't you even about this week? Oh, this is super fun. So, a random horse wandered into a guy's house and made herself at home. Mm. Well, that has to be kind of shocking. I mean, you would totally think so, right? But I love how, like, under the article it says, no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. If there's a horse in my house, (laughs) I I would think it was a little bit of a big deal. But um, that's just me. You know how I don't like poop in the house. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this is an article that I pulled from the dodo. And it says, the neighborly spirit is clearly alive and well in the town of Dunedin, New Zealand. Just ask this friendly local horse named Shark. I love that the horse's name is Shark, but it's with a Q, not a K. So it's kind of like a mix between Shark and Shack. Interesting. (laughs) And it is a big, giant gray horse. So I think it was kind of named after a shark. (laughs) That is so brilliant. I love it. I love it too. The other day, Shark slipped away from her owner's place to take a stroll around the neighborhood and what sort of adventures she had along the way is anyone's guess, but we do know where she ended up. Shark concluded her journey by strolling into a stranger's house where she quickly made herself at home. But what's more remarkable is how casually Shark was actually received by the homeowner. Cause like if a horse just wandered into your house, would you just be like, come on in? Or would you be like, WTF is happening right now? Um, I guess it depends on like the horse's demeanor. Fair enough. Like if it came strapped with a few bottles of wine, I'd be like, come on in. Have a seat. <laughs> Let me grab you some hay from the barn. Hi, new best friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who sent you? <laughs> oh, look, it's my horse, Graham. <laughs> Um, And here's the Facebook post from the homeowner when he suddenly found himself playing host to a horse. And this is really funny. So his profile picture is kind of hilarious. The the dude's name is Doug. And he like posted it to a Dunedin New Zealand news page. And it said, is anyone in the Highcliffe area missing a horse? This one has come inside, eaten half my dinner, and also my wife's carrots from the garden. We'll keep her for a pet if she's not claimed. <laughs> nice. And then someone tagged the owner, and the owner commented and said, Yes, that's my horse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Facebook, for helping lost horses find their home back again. Yes, their real home. <laughs> <laughs> so, despite having taken a few liberties as an uninvited guest, Shark had found someone willing to make her a part of his family if she needed one, which is super mm. sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thanks to the post, Shark's owner was alerted to what the horse had done, but it actually wasn't all that surprising because the owner said that this is indeed an inside horse. What? Yeah. So when she was lurking inside a man's home, the owner told the dodo, I'm so glad that she was able to find such a lovely place to reside for such a short while. Because apparently she would have been sad if she'd been outside. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
How do you manage the poop? Like maybe I know they have like the poop things that catch poop when you're like at a parade or whatever. So maybe you yeah. just wear that all the time. But it doesn't it probably doesn't smell great. Even in the pouch. Yeah, it still wouldn't. And I don't know. Like I, I don't know if it's such a great idea for them to be wearing it all the time. Like, have you seen a horse pee too? Like oh my god. Oh my gosh. Like it a would, hose. It would have to be the biggest belly band ever in order oh to absorb all of that oh pee. Unless but, it's potty trained. Uh, I mean, so horses are smart enough. I imagine that you could potty train a horse. Because, like, I've seen that some horses and, like, some donkeys even, they go to the bathroom in, like, the same corner of their pasture. Herc mm-hmm. does not do that. He just poops wherever he wants. But yeah. if I could figure out how to train him to just poop in one corner, that'd be super helpful. Yeah, that's <laughs> what Hamlet does, too. Hamlet the pig. He's it's makes cleaning up so much easier. Yeah, because you don't have to replace all the straw, right? You just, like, clean out that one corner, throw some lime down to, like, soak up the ammonia and the moisture, and then throw Mm -hmm. new hay down or straw down, and you're good. Bingo, bingo. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if it's good for animals to be, like, wearing a diaper that's got, like, their excrement in it all the time, too. It's probably like a human where you'd want to change it as soon as, like, the excrement happened or as soon as possible. (laughs) So, like, animals in diapers wouldn't be, like, a thing for people that like go to work for eight hours during the day i would think it's probably not a good long-term solution yeah but i could be wrong i don't (laughs) think i am somebody correct me (laughs) so what's your can't even this week so mine is from the ladbible.com um and it turns out that a Randy Duck's penis had to be removed because it became traumatized. Oh, no. Because he tried to mate with his female pals ten times a day. <laughs> the article says, let this be a warning. <laughs> so by traumatized, you mean that he, like, sustained a, a peen injury? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> So his owner, Josh Watson, claims his over-amorous Dave the Duck, uh, he his member became injured and infected after refusing to stop mating with his pals Dora, Frida, and Edith. I mean, with those names. I mean, it sounds like they should be the next round of Golden Girls. Absolutely. So the vet prescribed antibiotics and painkillers for Dave back in November – and told Josh, his and his this guy's partner, to um, wash the duck's penis daily and push it back in twice a day. <laughs> However, the nymphomaniac pet refused to give up his hobby, and their vet was forced to refer him to an exotic species department at Highcroft Veter- Veterinarian Hospital in Bristol. And as soon as the vet saw Dave's dicky dilemma. They knew there was one, only one thing that could be done. And last Thursday, his penis was surgically removed. Poor dude. Yeah. Even though Dave now only has a centimeter peter, uh, <laughs> he can still urinate as ducks only use their peters for mating. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Kind of like how chickens just shit everything. Ducks are the same. Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So... Josh um, said he's doing fine now. He's quite a resilient duck. The only downfall is that he lost his willy. I think he feels pretty upset about it. I think he's an infomaniac. He's got a high sex drive. So I think that's what caused it. Oh, my gosh. So he also says that he tries to meet with his female companions a lot every chance he can get. Um, 
noting definitely between five and 10 times a day, even though it's not mating season at the moment. Um, and obviously over mating, um, season, it, it gets even worse. So I've, I like kind of stopped reading the article and thought about it. And like, my ducks aren't really doing anything right now, but like in the spring, summer, it's like an orgy out there. It's crazy. <laughs> so they do slow down. Yeah. So basically what had happened was like the end of his penis had died and it was pretty horrific. It looked weird and it was quite worrying. It stopped going in when they were pressing it in during bath time and it was got like severely infected. So that's why they had to cut it off. Um, And they think if they hadn't removed his penis, the infection could have spread elsewhere in his body and it could have killed him. Yeah. Um, Just like any kind of infection. But in that area, it just seems a little more dramatic. So the vet thinks that what happened was um, him being a little overly active with the ladies caused his penis to prolapse. And that's what resulted in getting his penis like traumatized and infected. And female ducks can actually be quite aggressive. And if they didn't want the attention, they were probably pecking at his penis. Oh, that totally makes sense. Especially if it wouldn't go back in. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. So he won't be able to successfully breed anymore, which is fine. But that doesn't mean he won't try because <laughs> he really doesn't understand that it's not going to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, you can't tell a duck that he just lost his dinghy. <laughs> yeah, his dinghy. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that was very uh, drink and farm worthy today. So. so now it's time for our farm story. Yeah. And our farm story comes from the lovely Beverly today. Yes, I have a farm story to tell you guys, mostly because it's a really great lesson in measuring twice and cutting once, I suppose. Oh, is this uh, like a continuation of the duck surgery story? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just a little. No, just kidding. (laughs) So uh, a few episodes ago, I talked about how I was going to do a different kind of heated uh, chicken water this year. And it involved like a regular plastic poultry fountain and having it suspended inside a heated dog bowl because that would give them like some extra water inside the deep dog bowl but also uh, keep everything from freezing so that they always have access to water. And um, I feel like the dog bowls are just like a little easier to clean and I don't know, refill with water and whatnot. Cause like I find that those uh, poultry waters that have the plug in them, I find them to be kind of a pain to like take apart and put back together. Mm-hmm. Cause like mm-hmm. I staple my cords down in the coop so that the animals can't get caught in them. So like, you know, so those kinds of fountains, like when you pull them apart, you'd have to like leave the bottom part in the coop and you'd probably make a mess while you were like undoing it if you didn't leave yourself enough lead time to like get it. So anyways, this is what I came up with to like solve that conundrum for myself. But what I did was I brought the dog bowl into the coop because I cleaned the coop all out yesterday and I set it all up and I just grabbed the fountain and I just kind of like held it up to the dog bowl. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is where it needs to be cut off. And I brought it to Jared and I was like, hey, what do you think I can use to cut this off? And he looked at the fountain, turned it over and he's like, we can use the bandsaw. That's going to come right off. And it really did. The bandsaw worked wonders. So what we did was, you know, like I'm, I have those poultry fountains from a uh, tractor supply. So it's like the red bottom with the clear top. Mm-hmm. There's a line on the bottom of the, of the red bottom. And we just followed that perfectly to make it like a perfect cut. And basically what it does is with that fountain part gone, 
the bottom still closes the top and only allows that water to come out of the spout. And then the water pressure from the inside of the dog bowl keeps the fountain from continuing letting water out, just like the little fountain that was attached to it does. And so Jared cut that off for me. I filled it with water. I walked into the coop all proud of myself, turned it over, and it did not fit inside the dog bowl. (laughs) So I'm dumping water all over my like newly cleaned coop. (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell? And I look at it. I look at the fountain. I take the bottom off and like try to fit it in there. And I'm like, dang it. It like fits perfectly on top of it. And we can't take any more off. Like it just like it wouldn't work anymore because you need it to be able to close a little bit. Like mm. it, it won't hold water if all the water is gushing out of the bottom if you remove the bottom. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I walked out and I was like, dang it. And I told Jared, I was like, sorry, I we basically ruined this poultry fountain. <laughs> like, I have no use for it now. And I, I had do. a smaller one. <laughs> And so he cut the bottom off of that one and that one worked just fine. But now I'm on the hunt for a larger like opening on a dog bowl because like the heated dog bowl that I have has a really high wall okay, and like not like a giant opening. So I'm going to look for one that holds just as much water but is shorter on the side so that hopefully that'll be wide enough to hold it because I'm afraid it's just like a little one and a half um gallon one that I'm using right now and that's not enough water for all of my chickens like we'd have to go out there and refill it daily yeah and that's just that's too much during the winter so I'm on the hunt for another dog bowl so that I can still use it and then They'll just have two waterers. What I'll probably do is I'll put a heated water in the run and a heated one in their coop because they really should have two anyways with the number of chickens I have. So there's water for everybody if somebody's being a bully. (laughs) And then we'll go from there. But I was like so proud of myself because I had devised how to do it. And I even like recorded a couple of videos and then like it didn't work because I didn't properly measure it. Womp womp. See, we make mistakes too, and we share them with you. This is just proof. <laughs> All the time. I was, I got so much work done yesterday. I was just like totally pleased with myself. And then I did that. And then I just like shrugged my shoulders. I was like, oh, well, like, all I can do is move forward and pick something else. But like I told my husband, I'm like, we have to measure this and make sure that this works because if we cut the smaller poultry fountain and it doesn't work, the chickens no longer have a waterer. So. Because <laughs> I only had two and I already cut one of them. And without the trough on it, it's basically useless. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no pressure. But I think I can buy a new like just bottom from it from TSC. I don't know. I'll have to see. Maybe I'll just tell them what happened and they'll just give me another bottom because I'm sure that those tops get cracked all the time. So, <laughs> Oh, for sure. So now it's time for our weekly review of a review. <laughs> you can leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. If you don't have an Apple product, that's okay. You can download iTunes onto your laptop and leave us a review that way. What we're doing is we're reading one review a week. Um, and then we put all the names in the hat at the end of the month for the reviews that we read, draw a name, and that person will win an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in our merch shop. So this is the only way you can get it. Make sure you leave your Instagram handle or some kind of way for us to be able to track you down in case you do win. Um, so yeah, Bev, do you want to read this week's review? Sure. This review is called Ruined Forever Podcasts, 
I mean, that's a great title. <laughs> yeah. The first time I read it and I was like, shit, is this going to be our first really bad review? <laughs> and I just read it too fast and I read it wrong. But then <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yes. So after more than a decade bouncing around as a military family, my husband and I returned to our home state of Wisconsin this summer, purchasing an eight and a half acre property with high homesteading hopes. Yet on the outside looking longingly plus impatiently in at that world, I was chuffed to recently stumble upon We Drink and We Farm Things. We went down the rabbit hole of archived podcasts to find informative, hilarious, and when called for, brilliantly irreverent commentary on everything, plus more we want to learn about farming. Picking up recommendations for delicious craft beer and other unique adult beverages is a delightful bonus for us as home brewers. So thank you, Sam and Bev, for sharing your stories and this community with us, for not sidestepping tough topics, for offering hope and inspiration to first-generation farmerish folk. W-D-A-W-F-T. I love the way that that looks together. It's basically we drink and we farm things. We might have to turn that into like a hashtag or something. It looks like uh, what a what the F to me. When That's I exactly it. what it looks like. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely hashtagging this episode that so that maybe people can start using it. <laughs> what a what a F. That's totally what it looks like. <laughs> Is a virtual we've been there shoulder nudge. Reminding us that if at first we don't succeed, we're normal, all of which makes up for the fact that I'm now ruined for listening to other podcasts because where's the beer bottle pour, the can snap, the cork pop? Why am I even listening to this? (laughs) (laughs) And that was from Heather AG. So thanks, Heather, for that lovely review. So nice and so funny. (laughs) Yes, it sure is. Right up our alley. Yes, on brand. (laughs) (laughs) So just a few housekeeping things and announcements. Great news in case you missed last week's episode. Um, and this is the first time you're hearing it or seeing it. Coop Camp 2020 has been announced and will take place the same place it did last year, just outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, June 5th through 7th. And we will be there and you should be there too. If you didn't listen to our previous episodes about us and our experience at Coop Camp, you can check out episode 66 I'm sad I was peeing when that happened. And Minnesota 15 drink and coop camp if you want to, you know, listen to our experience and and let that guide you to coop camp with us. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and download when you listen because that helps more people like you find the podcast. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag Drink and Farm. If you do this for us, we're going to do something for you. We're going to send you a promo code just for that episode that will give you a percentage off in our shop. So go do that. Yes. And it's important to know, too, that we don't have two different shops anymore. So all of our merch is on our website. So that code you get for sharing the episode is good on clothing, too. And that used to not be the case because we didn't have control over it. But now we have control over our clothing merch. And we we can give you a discount on it. So yay! Yes. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to all six articles we referenced today for the reindeer talk <laughs> and our the two for our can't even. Sorry, Bev, that's a lot of work for you. So many show notes. <laughs> a survey to tell us how we're doing and all of our social media goodness shops and our merch shops that we were just talking about. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed this fun chat all about reindeer slash caribou. Yeah.
We hope you feel inspired and feel the Christmas spirit warming you from the inside out, whether that is actual holiday spirit or booze. You know, we'll leave that up to you. I mean, booze works too. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely working for me today. (laughs) Same. So until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye, guys. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.